We're engaging today in a tremendously important study, and that is how does the kingdom of God come to earth? All doctrines have implications, and this one has had implications that's created wars and is still doing it, so stay tuned. Welcome to our session today. We are entering a very, very interesting part of the study about the kingdom of God. So far, we've covered a lot of territory. We began by seeing that the kingdom of God actually begins before the creation of the earth, or at least from the foundation of the earth, whatever that means, which was obviously a long time ago. It also means that from the beginning of the concept of earth, the intent of God, think about this, the intent of God was to have the kingdom of God, which is in heaven, replicated or duplicated or extended to the earth in its fullness, in its completeness, in its wholeness. So far, never has the earth seen the kingdom of God on earth to that extent. And so we've talked about many things. We saw the coming of the kingdom of God uh, foreshadowed with the Garden of Eden, which uh, I think when you study that carefully, you will see that the intent of God was to uh, spread Eden until the whole earth is like Eden. And man was, by his reproduction and so forth, uh, was to continue that expansion. Then, of course, we saw the fall in the garden. We saw the fact that after the first 11 chapters of Genesis, God began to, uh, during those first 11 chapters, he dealt with the human race as a whole, pretty much. And then in um, Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, who became Abraham. And at that point, the method whereby God related with man changed, not the purposes of God. The purposes of God never changed. But the method by which he fulfilled that purpose changed from a primarily un mediated method of God uh, communicating with man to a mediated method where God is going to communicate with man through his people and that he will have prophets and that the people themselves as a whole will become both the model and the portal for the entire world to come to know the Lord and for the coming of the kingdom of God. So we see the kingdom of God prophesied in the Old Testament to Abraham and his descendants. It is prophesied multiple times that it is coming. It is prophesied that it is an eternal kingdom. Those prophecies are identified as being, uh, for example, these prophecies will be fulfilled as surely as there will be night and day. Uh, these prophecies shall be fulfilled. This is a covenant that is an everlasting covenant. And he was talking about 
God's covenant with his people that he is going to create a kingdom. And he's going to use his people in the Old Testament, Israel, to establish this kingdom. And he's going to bless them and that they will um, be leaders in that kingdom that will come in the future. So then we talked about the considerable discussion. It's larger than what we talked about, but we talked considerably about um, the eschatological uh, characteristics of the kingdom, uh, that how it was going to come in the future, uh, how that all of human history is moving towards a consummation, how that history has a plan. We talked about the fact that the Bible is the only uh, book in the world whereby a plan for the human race is indicated from the beginning throughout all of the twists and turns of human history up until the present. And it's still moving towards that consummation of the kingdom of God coming to earth. No other book, no other no other teaching gives us this understanding, but this is a very important thing to understand how deeply integrated, how primary, how prominent is the teaching in the Bible of the coming of the kingdom of God. We talked about what it says about it in the New Testament. Uh, we mentioned that the very first chapter of the New Testament has an angel proclaiming to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the, the going-to-be mother of Jesus. The angel is proclaiming to her that he is the one that will bring the kingdom, and it will be the kingdom of David prophesied in the Old Testament. So the whole Old Testament concept is transferred into the New Testament from its very inception. It's like the New Testament can't wait to get open to, to make this proclamation. Then <clears throat> when we read the Gospels, we see the kingdom reiterated over and over and over. It is taught. There are questions asked about it. The, uh, the disciples want to know about it. Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, which are used interchangeably. Uh, he, he does it interminably. He, he continues to talk about the kingdom, and he does it with uh, great thoroughness. Uh, many of his perils are about a man left and went to receive a kingdom. Um, the Matthew 13, which we discussed at some length, uh, is completely about the coming of the kingdom of God and how it comes in our day. And uh, in our day, the kingdom of God is here, but not in its consummating form. It's here in its spiritual form. And we may talk about that a little bit more. So, uh, so when the kingdom of God comes to earth, have we seen the kingdom of God come to earth? What are the characteristics of the kingdom of God? Uh, and how has it come to the earth? And how is it going to come to the earth in its consummating form? All of these are important questions that have to do with everything about human beings and about human history. Uh, so this is a very important study for 
all of us, wherever we're from or whoever we are, we are all earth beings and we're all going to remain to some extent connected to the earth even in eternity. And so these things really matter to us. What will our bodies be like? And, and well, we know each other and there are many, many things uh, and questions about these things. Will we eat? Do, will we need to eat or will eating be some kind of pleasure or, or how does all of that work? So the question of how does the kingdom of God come to earth is a very important question. And the very first reason that it's a very important question is that a misconception of how the kingdom of God comes to earth can lead to very serious implications and the consequences of persons understanding of how the kingdom of God is coming to the earth can have everything to do with their response to their belief of how it's going to come to the earth. So all of this makes our study today and uh, for these last few days about the kingdom of God extremely important because, of course, as we've said before, uh, doctrines and <clears throat> beliefs have consequences, and they are the foundation from which our actions are formed in life. So the question of how the kingdom of God comes to earth becomes a very, very important question. So let's start this today by looking at uh, uh, a quote of Jesus himself in the first chapter of Mark verses 14 and 15, this is how it reads, because we're talking about the kingdom of God. Now, after the John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. There we are. And saying, this is what he said about the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel or the good news. Now, that is a kind of innocuous statement to you and I. Okay, he announced that the kingdom of God was at hand. But in the time that he did that, that was a revolutionary declaration in every sense of the word. There was absolutely no subject that was more discussed or more uh, important in Palestine at the time of Christ than the discussion of the coming of the kingdom of God because they had been under uh, bondage for centuries. And so they were anticipating from the Old Testament prophets and their prophecies that a Messiah would come that is going to deliver them, okay? So there were people that came and proclaimed, made proclamations that they were that coming Messiah. And uh, the consequence was people followed them and it failed and, and uh, they created insurrections against Rome. And in many cases, they were wiped out. They were killed. Uh, so these people who were under bondage to a foreign power for 600 years or so, were weary of the bondage and the taxes and the loss of liberty. 
but they still had their hopes from those prophets that prophesied to them. And these hopes, which sprung from the writings um, of the Old Testament, they, they inspired the people because the writers wrote glowing prophecies of a better day that was coming, a day when the kingdom of God would be ushered in, the Messiah would come, and it would be a day in which Israel was the head and not the tail. So these writings were ever fresh and strong, and they were written in times of their bondage. And each new leader uh, was looked upon fondly with the thought that perhaps this is the one spoken of by the prophets as our deliverer, and perhaps he will bring the kingdom. So they had had no prophet since Malachi, for that's for 400 years. Think about that. They did have the writings of the prophets before that, but they had no prophets. So when John the Baptist came as a prophet prophesying, that in itself was a revolution. And then when Jesus immediately afterward came as the fulfillment of John's prophecy and Jesus himself was a prophet, it was rocking their world. And so those Old Testament promises, they were in those books. They were studying those books. What does it say about the Messiah? What does it say about the coming kingdom? And these books promised a better day in which a new kingdom would be established. Now, they also had other books. We want to talk about this a little bit, which at the time of Jesus were very, very popular. Every child was taught uh, on Sabbath day and at home out of these books as well as the Bible. Um, these books that, along with the Old Testament, Jesus himself undoubtedly was taught from. These books were divided in how they viewed the kingdom of God would come to the earth. They didn't agree. They, there was two primary ideas, and some fall into what we categorize as the prophetic tradition of how the kingdom of God would come to earth. Others fell into categorizations as the apocalyptic tradition, apocalyptic tradition of how the kingdom of God would come to earth. And this was taken out of what has come to be called the apocalyptic writings. Um, <clears throat> scripture uh, uh, was one thing, and these books were another. However, these books were considered to be holy and sacred, although it was recognized that they were not a part of Scripture. They used to be called uh, pseudopigraphica writings or pseudopigrapha writings. Uh, that is because they were written pseudopigraphically, uh, meaning that the authors used the names. This is very interesting. Used the names from great spiritual figures of Israel's past and attached that name to that book as though that author wrote it. Now, you and I, uh, in our Western way of thinking, would think that this is at best disingenuous or deceitful. But in a way strange to our Western mind, Hebrews probably thought of this as a way to identify that these writings were infused with the spirit of the name that it bore. 
For example, the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch has a whole lot of things to say about uh, the end time and about the time uh, after the Messiah comes and about the spiritual circumstances. But it's written as though Enoch, the, the fifth from Adam, back in the book of Genesis, actually wrote it. Uh, now, this kind of thing does not appear that to be that unusual in Hebrew writings. For example, uh, here's something that we would, our minds would have a little problem maybe wrapping around, is that the spirit of Elijah, the Bible talks about the spirit of Elijah, that the spirit, that uh, there's a prophecy that uh, John the Baptist would be Elijah. And then many people thought that on John and on Jesus himself was the spirit of Elijah or even Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So this idea of a transfer of that anointing, we know the spirit of Elijah was transferred because it was transferred from Elijah to Elisha. And Elisha specifically said, give me a double portion of thy spirit. So the anointing upon a man, um, this is just a discussion here, but the anointing upon a man evidently takes uh, a special form that has characteristics that are reflected out of that man's persona or, or that person's persona. And um, so when they heard these people testify under the anointing or prophesy under the anointing, they said, that is the spirit of Elijah. It had the, if you please, the smell. It had the flavor of Elijah about it. So uh, a point we need to note before we launch any deeper into this subject is that there is a phrase also that is found repeatedly in the Old Testament prophets and tomorrow we will talk about that phrase 